stated Previously the slogans raised by Abu Sufyan during the Battle of Uhud were being mentioned. He glorified his idols, which impassioned the honor and zeal of the Holy Prophet he had for God Almighty, and he responded, I mentioned how the Holy Prophet demonstrated this honor and zeal, and how he, despite the precarious circumstances, instructed to raise slogans of the greatness of Allah. I will present further references in this regard. Hazrat Muslim states, In the Ahadith, it is recorded that during the Battle of Uhud, when Abu Sufyan loudly proclaimed, Lana Uzza wa la Uzza lakum, meaning Uzza is our helper, but you have no idol to help you. At that time, the Holy Prophet said to the Muslims, Say, Lana Mawla wa la Mawla lakum meaning that our master and helper is our God, the self-subsisting and self-sustaining, but you have no master or helper. As a Muslim says, What a truly remarkable demonstration of the belief that, O God, Thou art our master, that despite being surrounded by swords, they held firm to the belief that only Allah can save us. On another occasion, he mentions further details. When the news of the Holy Prophet having been martyred reached the Muslims, they immediately turned back and removed the dead bodies from on top of him. They discovered that the Holy Prophet was still alive and breathing. Subsequently, the first thing they did was to remove the nail of his helmet. It would not move an inch. Eventually, a companion removed it with his teeth, as a result of which two of his teeth broke. Water was sprinkled on his face and he regained consciousness. Most of the companions had become dispersed and only a small group of companions were around him. The Holy Prophet said to them, We should move to the foot of the mountain. As such, he led them to the foot of the mountain and slowly the remaining army started gathering there as well. Abu 
When the army of the disbelievers was departing, Abu Sufyan loudly proclaimed the name of the Holy Prophet and said that they have killed him. The companions wanted to reply, but the Holy Prophet stopped them and said, This is not the right moment. Our men have become dispersed, some have been killed, and others are wounded. There are only a few of us here, and everyone is exhausted. The army of the disbelievers is 3,000 strong and intact. Under such circumstances, it is not wise to respond. If they say that they have killed me, then let it be. Thus the companions remained silent owing to the instructions of the Holy Prophet. When Abu Sufyan did not receive a reply, he said that they have killed Abu Bakr as well. The Holy Prophet stopped them once again from replying and said, Remain silent. If he says this, then so be it. Hence the companions remained silent upon hearing this as well. When Abu Sufyan did not receive a reply again, he said that they have killed Umar as well. Hazrat Umar was a man of a fiery disposition and was about to respond. But the Holy Prophet stopped him from doing so as well. Later on, Hazrat Umar said, I was going to reply that you say that we have killed Umar, whereas Umar is still here and ready to break your neck. Nevertheless, the Holy Prophet stopped him from replying. When Abu Sufyan did not receive any response, he raised the slogan, meaning, O Hubal, the idol Abu Sufyan deemed most high, exalted be thy name. May Hubal be glorified. In other words, our Hubal has killed Muhammad and his companions. Seeing as the Holy Prophet had prohibited the companions from responding, they remained silent on this occasion as well. The Messenger of Allah said to remain silent and not respond upon the announcement of his own death. He said to remain silent and not respond upon the announcement of the death of Hazrat Abu Bakr. He ordered to remain silent and not to respond upon hearing the announcement of the death of Hazrat Umar. He repeatedly said that their army had become dispersed and that there was a risk of the enemy attacking, so they should quietly listen to what he was saying. However, when the words of O'lo Hubul, O'lo Hubul, O Hubul, exalted be thy name, fell upon the ears of this pure and holy man, his honour for the unity of God was impassioned, because now it was no longer the question of Muhammad, Abu Bakr or Umar, but it was the honour of Allah the Almighty. The Holy Prophet said emphatically, Why do you not respond? The companions asked, O Messenger of Allah, how shall we respond? He said, Say, Allahu Azza wa Jal, Allahu Azza wa Jal, what is Hubal? Greatness and grandeur belongs to Allah the Exalted alone. What an excellent example this was of his passion and zeal for the unity of God. He forbade his companions on three occasions from responding, which proves that he was well aware of the associated risks and dangers. He knew that the Muslim army had dispersed, that very few people remained close to him, that the majority of the companions had been wounded, and that the rest were all exhausted. If the enemy were to learn that one group of the Muslim army had regrouped, perhaps they would have the courage to attack once more. But in spite 
of all of these circumstances. When it became a question of the honor of Allah the Almighty, he could no longer bear to remain silent. And even if it meant the enemy would find out their whereabouts, attack and kill them, he was unable to remain silent any longer. Hence he said to the companions, Why do you remain silent? Why do you not say, Allahu Azza wa Jal, Allahu Azza wa Jal, As a Muslim has mentioned all of this in the commentary of Surah Al-Kawthar. In another instance, he has stated, If you wish to read further details of this, then consult Tafsir Kabir. There are many other points and one can greatly increase in their knowledge from there. As a Muslim states, are there any devotees that exist today of those chieftains of Makkah who desired to kill Muhammad? On the day of the Battle of Uhud, Abu Sufyan proclaimed out loud, Is Muhammad still alive among you? When there was no response, he declared, We have killed Muhammad. He then asked, Is Abu Bakr alive among you? As there was no response, he shouted, We have slain Abu Bakr. He then asked, Is Umar alive among you? Once again, there was no response, owing to which he exclaimed, We have killed Umar as well. But if you go today to all the corners of the world and call out the representatives of the chieftains of Makkah, the likes of Abu Jahl, and ask if there is Abu Jahl amongst them, to the contrary, you will find that there are millions of people who will raise their voices upon the name of Muhammad and the entire world will exclaim that Muhammad is present among them for it is an honor for them to represent him. But upon calling out for Abu Jahl, you will not even hear a single sound in any part of the world. The progeny of Abu Jahl are present in the world even today. But none of them have the courage to claim that they are his descendants. Perhaps even the progeny of Utbah and Shaiba are present today. Yet, does anyone ever say that they are among their progeny? Hence, it is only the name of the Holy Prophet wasallam that Allah the Almighty has exalted and held aloft. Then regarding this, the Promised Messiah Islam, states, There are thousands of hidden intricacies behind the trials that befall the Prophets of God. The Holy Prophet Muhammad faced a number of trials as well. One narration records that during the Battle of Uhud, he endured 70 wounds, and the disbelievers rejoiced at seeing the condition of the Muslims. As such, a certain enemy who believed that the Prophet Muhammad along with his most eminent companions, must have been martyred, asked in a loud voice, Is Muhammad yet amongst you? The Holy Prophet instructed the companions to remain silent and not to answer him. The silence sent a wave of happiness in the questioner's heart, who took it as confirmation that he must have indeed died. Then he similarly called out asking about Abu Bakr, Again, he was met with silence. Then he asked about Hazrat Umar, 
at which Hazrat Umar was not able to stop himself and exclaimed, You wretched individual, what nonsense are you spewing? They are all alive. Enduring such painful moments is also important, for after this, the Holy Prophet declared that now the disbelievers will not launch an attack against us. Perhaps the Promised Messiah referred here to the Battle of the Ditch as it took place after Ohud. This reference is from Al-Fazat, so it could be that the one taking notes forgot to write this point. It was at the Battle of the Ditch that the Holy Prophet said, From here on now, the disbelievers will not attack us. Instead, we will be victorious. What a painful moment it was for the Holy Prophet when he left his hometown of Makkah. But now, God had changed their circumstances. The incident of Hazrat Hanzala's martyrdom is also recorded. During this battle, we find mention of another companion's courageous loyalty and total willingness to sacrifice himself out of the love for the Holy Prophet. This is the companion whose wife relates that when he found out that the Messenger of Allah has left for battle, despite the fact that the ablution was incumbent upon him owing to conjugal relations, he left the house to join the battle in such a rush that he did not even consider the ablution necessary in that moment and made way for the battle with sword in hand. On one occasion during the battle, he came face to face with the chief of the disbelievers, Abu Sufyan, who was on his horse. Hazrat Hanzala struck Abu Sufyan's horse, injuring it. As a result, Abu Sufyan fell from his horse and began screaming as soon as he hit the ground. No sooner had Hazrat Hanzala raised his sword intending to finish off Abu Sufyan that Shaddad bin Aus, and according to one narration, his name was Shaddad bin Aswad, caught sight of him. In any case, when Shaddad saw Hanzala raise his sword to kill Abu Sufyan, he swung his sword at Hanzala, martyring him. Upon the martyrdom of Hazrat Hanzala, the Holy Prophet Muhammad stated that the angels are bathing your companion, i.e. Hanzala. One version adds that the Holy Prophet said, I am watching the angels washing Hanzala between the heavens and the earth using dishes of silver filled with pristine and pure water. Hazrat Hanzala's wife's name was Jamila. She was the daughter of the chief of the hypocrites Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul and the sister of Hazrat Abdullah bin Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul. Hazrat Jamila mentioned that Hazrat Hanzala had hurried into battle in a state that ablution was incumbent upon him owing to conjugal relations. When the Holy Prophet heard her say this, he explained that the angels are themselves arranging his ablution. It was Hazrat Hanzala's first night of his marriage with Hazrat Jamila and the Battle of Ohud took place the following morning. According to one narration, Hazrat Jamila relates that when Hanzala heard about the announcement for the army to embark on the expedition, he left immediately without bathing. The same night, Hazrat Jamila saw a dream in which a door in the sky opened to allow her husband in, after which it closed immediately. Another narration adds, that Hazrat Jamila made four women of her tribe a witness to the fact 
that she had indeed consummated the marriage with Hazrat Hanzala. She did this lest anyone became suspicious of her pregnancy. People concoct stories and spread rumours and suspicions. Even today there are people who level false allegations on others. Nonetheless, Hazrat Jamila did this to personally absolve herself from any such allegations. She explains that she made witnesses due to her dream wherein she saw Hazrat Hanzala enter a door in the skies from which she understood that her husband's time had come. And she explains that she indeed became pregnant as a result of that night. As a result of this pregnancy, Abdullah bin Hanzala was born. After killing Hazrat Hanzala, the Quraysh did not mutilate his body, meaning they did not cut off his ears, nose and remove his eyes, owing to the fact that his father Abu Amir Rahib had come with the Quraysh. There is mention about the martyrdom of Hazrat Saad bin Rabi. Hazrat Saad bin Rabi participated in the battles of Badr and Uhud and was martyred during the battle of Uhud. On the day of Uhud, the Holy Prophet stated, Who will bring me news of Saad bin Rabi? I will, someone replied. And so, this individual went forth and began searching for him among those who had been slain. Upon seeing this individual, Hazrat Saad asked him how he was. And he replied, I have been sent by the Messenger of Allah so I can inform him about your condition. Hazrat Saad stated, Convey my salam, i.e. greeting of peace, to the Holy Prophet and inform the Holy Prophet that I have received 12 spear wounds and I have condemned all those who fought with me to the hellfire. In other words, whoever came up against him was killed. And tell my people that if the Holy Prophet is martyred, while a single one of them is still alive, then remember that they shall have no excuse to offer before God Almighty. It is stated that it was Hazrat Ubay bin Kaab who went to inquire about the condition of Hazrat Saad radiallahu anhu. Hazrat Saad told Hazrat Ubay bin Kaab, Let my people know that Saad bin Rabi says that they ought to fear Allah the Almighty. And in another narration, he has been recorded as saying, And remember the pledge they took at the hands of the Messenger of Allah on the night of Aqaba. By God, they shall have no excuse before God if the eyes of even one of them still flickers, i.e. if any one of them was still alive, and the enemy was to reach the Holy Prophet i.e. that they should sacrifice their lives for the sake of the Messenger of Allah and his religion. These were the innate sentiments of the companions, that even when they were breathing their last, they would only be worried for the safety of the Holy Prophet Hazrat Ubay bin Kaab narrates that he was still by the side of Hazrat Saad when he passed away. His body was covered in wounds, and when he returned and presented himself before the Holy Prophet, he informed him of the conversation he had and the condition he was in when he was martyred. Upon this, the Holy Prophet stated, May Allah the Almighty have mercy upon him. In his lifetime and even after his demise, he continued to serve Allah and his Messenger. Hazrat Saad bin Rabi and Hazrat Kharja bin Zayd were buried in one grave. With regards to the martyrdom of Hazrat Saad, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Masaib has recorded this incident in the following way. Now the Holy Prophet had also descended into the battlefield and the work of tending to the bodies of the martyrs was underway. 
At the time, i.e. when the battle finished, the sight that was before the Muslims was one to bring forth tears of blood. Even though the Holy Prophet was injured, he still went into the battlefield and work began tending to the bodies of the martyrs. He further says, Seventy Muslims were laying in the field of battle smothered in dust and blood, and they displayed a horrific scene of the barbaric Arab tradition known as mutla, i.e. mutilation of the dead bodies. Their limbs were cut, faces distorted. Among the casualties, there were only six muhajireen, and the rest were all from the Ansar. The number of men slain from among the Quraysh was 23. When the Holy Prophet came to the body of his paternal uncle and foster brother, Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib, he was stunned because Hind, the barbaric wife of Abu Sufyan, had severely spoiled his dead body. For some time, the Holy Prophet stood there silently and signs of grief and anger were evident upon his countenance. For a fleeting moment, the Holy Prophet even thought to himself that until these bloodthirsty beasts of Makkah were not given a taste of their own medicine, perhaps they would never come to their senses. But then the Holy Prophet refrained from this idea and exhibited patience. As a matter of fact, after this, the Holy Prophet prohibited the custom of Musla in Islam forever, i.e. to disfigure a dead body and cut off limbs and said that the enemy may do as it pleases, but the Muslims should in any case refrain from such a barbaric practice and follow a course of virtue and benevolence. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Masai further writes, The Quraysh had more or less carried out the same barbaric treatment to the bodies of other companions as well. Hence, the body of Abdullah bin Jahash the paternal cousin of the Holy Prophet had also been severely disfigured. As the Holy Prophet would move from one body to the other, signs of pain and anguish would become more and more evident upon his countenance. Hazrat Muslim has made reference to these martyrs and their sacrifices. While speaking about the love and devotion Hazrat Saad bin Rabi, leader of the Ansar, had for the Holy Prophet, Hazrat Muslim Aud states, There is an incident that took place on the occasion of the Battle of Uhud. After the battle, the Holy Prophet sent Hazrat Ubay bin Kaab to go and inquire about the state of those who had been wounded. While searching for the wounded, Hazrat Ubay bin Kaab reached Hazrat Saad bin Rabi, who had been severely injured and was breathing his last. Hazrat Ubay bin Kaab asked him if he had any message he would like him to convey to his relatives and dear ones. Hazrat Saad smiled and said, I was waiting for a Muslim to come who I could deliver my message to. Place your hand in mine and promise me that you will certainly convey my message. Even in such a condition, he was aware enough to say for him to place his hand on his hand. This is a sign of giving a solemn pledge. Promise me that you will certainly convey my message. The message he then gave was as follows. Convey my greetings of peace to my Muslim brothers and tell my people and my relatives 
that the Messenger of Allah is the greatest trust bestowed upon us by God Almighty, and we ought to protect this trust with our very lives. I must now depart from this world and hand over this trust to you. Let it not be that you show weakness in this regard. As a Muslim states, Ponder, at such a time when one feels as if they are about to die, one entertains all kinds of thoughts in their heart. He thinks about the circumstances his wife would have to face or who will tend to the needs of his children, etc. However, this companion did not convey any such message of this kind and simply said that he is departing this world whilst he was striving to protect the Holy Prophet and they ought to do the same and follow after him. It was this very strength of faith that enabled them to bring about a revolution in the world and topple the rule of the Romans and Persians. The Roman emperor was astonished as to who these people were. Likewise, the Kosros wrote to one of his generals and told him that if he could not even defeat the Arabs, then he should return and instead sit at home wearing his bangles, i.e. for them to stay behind with the women and that there was no need for them to go and fight. The king also stated to his general that the Arabs were such people that they would eat ordeal and yet he could not even stop them, i.e. they would eat filth and unwholesome foods. In reply, the general stated that they do not appear as mere mortals, but rather they were like beasts that would come galloping over the swords and spears. As a Muslim has shed light on this incident from another angle, stating, When the Battle of Uhud came to an end, the Holy Prophet dispatched a companion to tend to those who were wounded. This companion saw a man from the Ansar who was in a critical condition. He went to him and said, My dear brother, if you have a message, tell me, and I will pass it on to your friends and relatives. He replied, I was waiting for this exact moment wondering if I would meet a person from Medina so I could convey a message to my friends and family. It is good that you came to me. Give me your hand and promise me that you will convey this message to my family members. He held his hand and vowed that he would convey his message. The injured companion then said, Go and tell my friends, relatives and all my tribesmen that the Holy Prophet is our most precious treasure. He has been entrusted to us as a nation. I have full conviction that deep down you also know the value of this asset. Therefore, I deem it my duty to relay this message to you that until the time we draw our last breath, we must not breach this trust bestowed to us. Expend all your energy to safeguard it. I will now depart, but I leave this trust to you. I hope that all my sons, brothers and their progenies will safeguard this holy trust more than their own lives and will not allow any form of negligence in discharging this duty. In another place, Hazrat Muslim has mentioned this in the following manner. An Ansari chieftain was lying wounded 
and his condition was such that he was going to pass away in a matter of minutes. Another companion saw him and went and sat beside him. He inquired about his condition and asked if he wanted to convey any message to his wife, children or any of his loved ones. Upon this he stated, Yes, I was in fact waiting for a Muslim to come to me so that I could convey a message through him. As a Muslim out states, Everyone knows that the time of one's demise, even if one is in their own home, is an extremely difficult time. The lasting wish of one who is about to die is that he may be granted even just a few minutes more so he may be able to speak to his wife, children and siblings or to impart any final advice. However, his companion was not with his wife or children nor was he at home or in a hospital on a soft bed. In fact, he was lying on a rocky ground and yet he did not ask him to convey his salam to his wife and to advise her to provide his children with a good upbringing nor did he say for his property to be divided in such and such way or that he had some wealth kept in such and such place and for it to be retrieved from there since he was a chieftain. In fact, he said, convey this message to my children and my fellow brothers that Muhammad, the messenger of Allah وسلم, is a precious trust given to you by God Almighty. Until my last breath, I sacrifice my life to safeguard this trust. And now in my final words of advice to my beloved brothers and children is that they also ought to protect this trust with their very lives. Thereafter, he breathed his last. These are such examples of expressions of love for the Holy Prophet that leave one truly astounded. May Allah the Almighty develop this spirit of love for the Holy Prophet within us as well. Once we develop this spirit, we will strengthen in our bond with Allah the Almighty. Furthermore, we will also truly strive to remove our weaknesses so that we can demonstrate the true Islamic teachings in our worship, morals and habits. May Allah the Almighty enable us to do so. I will lead a few funeral prayers and also mention some details about them. The first mention is of respected Dr. Mansur Shabuti Sahib of Yemen. Mansur Shabuti Sahib was imprisoned in Yemen due to being an Ahmadi. He passed away while in prison on 26th of January at the age of 63. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Since he passed away whilst in prison and his imprisonment was due to him being an Ahmadi, moreover proper medical treatment was also not available to him and he was perhaps ill-treated as well. In any case, irrespective of the exact extent of the details received, he passed away whilst in prison, and therefore he is a martyr, and as such, the first Ahmadi martyr of Yemen. The deceased is survived by his elderly mother, wife and two sons, Ayman and Bilal. The deceased's brother, Nasir Shibuti, resides here in London. His brother says that his body was handed over to his son on 1st of February. However, since almost all the Ahmadi men have been imprisoned, therefore the non-Ahmadis offered his funeral prayer and buried him. Nasir Shibuti Sahib says that their grandfather, 
Abdullah Muhammad Uthman Sabuti was the first Ahmadi in Yemen. And Dr. Mansur Shabuti's father, Mahmoud Abdullah Shabuti, was Yemen's first missionary who had attained a Shahid degree. The mother of the deceased is Shahrukh Nasreen Saiba, who is the daughter of Sayyid Bashir Ahmad Shah Sahib of Rabwa and Farukh Khanum Sahiba. Farukh Khanum Sahiba is from the Junood family. And she, along with her mother, Halima Banu Sahiba, and her brother, Sayyid Haji Junoodullah Sahib, had the opportunity to fulfill the instructions of the Holy Prophet that when the Imam Mahdi appears, then even if one has to crawl over snow, they should do so in order to pledge allegiance to him. And so they travelled by foot from Kashgar over ice-capped mountains and reached Qadian and did the bayt. Mansur Shabuti Sahib's mother was a member of this family, and his maternal grandmother was with them when they walked over snow. His son Bilal Shabuti has written regarding the incident of his martyrdom. The security forces broke into our house. They pushed our father and pointed a gun to his chest and they were about to take me and my father. My father told them they could kill him if they wanted to but let his son go. When the non-Ahmadis offered his funeral prayer, his son who is 16 years of age, was present and took part, and there was no other Ahmadi male present. In any case, he further states, they stole money from my father and accused him that he received money from outside of the country. However, my father denied receiving money from outside of the country and told them that this was his own money which he had earned. This is a misinformation which the so-called scholars have spread against the Ahmadis that, God forbid, we receive money from the Western powers and that we have an agenda against Islam. In fact, every Ahmadi is spreading the message of Islam across the world by personally offering financial sacrifices and also serving humanity. In any case, it is quite a detailed account which he has mentioned. I shall now read what his wife has written to me. She says, Those who imprisoned him showed me the location of where they had imprisoned my husband. They informed me that my husband would often weep in his obligatory and voluntary prayers. She further stated that Dr. Saib was in prison because some Ahmadis had informed that Dr. Saib would receive money from Britain, which he was using to prepare a militia force in Yemen. This is a completely baseless allegation. However, upon inquiry, they found this to be completely untrue. They were going to release him, but his health deteriorated due to the stress of the situation he was in. This was a statement of those who had spoken to his wife. It is possible that the officer in the high command had a different attitude, but the subordinate officers who tend to make their own decisions, and so as a result of their harsh treatment, it impacted his health. In any case, his brother Nasir Shibuti Sahib writes regarding the deceased, 
our brother, Dr. Mansoor Shabuti, was extremely kind and caring. He was very intelligent in his studies and was among the top 10 students of the country and was given an award by the government. He was very regular in his Salat and Tahajjud prayer. He would regularly recite the Holy Quran after the Fajr prayer and was also regular in his financial contributions. Before his own relatives, he would always help and treat the others first. He would always speak to his patients in a cheerful manner and would never take any fee from those patients who were not well off. He would also provide them with medication and if they needed to be admitted into hospital, then he would assist them in this as well. When operating on anyone who was poor, he would deduct his operation fee from his own earnings. He further says, if anyone from among our neighborhood fell ill, they would come to our brother for treatment. When he moved to another area, Sanaa, the neighbors became very sad. He would always treat his parents with great kindness and also help them perform the Hajj. Dr. Sahib's mother, Shahrukh Nasreen Sahiba says, When I was expecting, I saw in a dream that a pious woman from Rabwa named Zainab held my mother in her lap and said that the promised Messiah was coming. I looked around for the promised Messiah, but I did not see him. And after this, I woke up. Dr. Sahib had a passion for tabligh right from his childhood. In school, he would preach the message of Ahmadiyya to his religious studies teachers, and the teachers would listen to what he had to say without any opposition. One of his sons, Ayman Shabuti, lives in Germany. He says, My late father never scolded me nor hit me. I recall him only ever hitting me once when I was 13 years old. And I had refused to offer prayers in congregation, upon which he hit me lightly. But aside from that time, he never did. He says, during times of difficulty, my father would always enjoin me to pray, and he acted upon this himself as well. I have seen him weeping in prayers. He says, when I was in school and we were just children, he would wake us up for Fajr prayer and we would offer the prayers in congregation and then we would recite the Holy Quran. He obtained his PhD in surgery for which he went to Jordan, where he lived for five years. He says, I went to visit him there and the mosque or center where the Friday prayers was offered was an hour away and he would drive there every Friday. He had a passion for studying and would read many of the Jamaat's books. He says, when he returned from Jordan, his bag was quite heavy and I thought that he had brought back a lot of gifts. Just as children hope that their parents have brought something for them. However, there weren't any gifts in the bag, rather it contained the Arabic translation of the Kabir along with some other books of the Jamaat. He would go to meet his relatives, even if they were non-Ahmadi. He says, he would also take myself and my mother along with him. When I would ask him why it was necessary to meet non-Ahmadi relatives, he would say, the Holy Prophet has commanded to maintain good relations with family. If we do not maintain a connection with close relatives, then it will displease Allah the Almighty. Marwa Shabuti Saiba says, He was well respected, of sound morals, pious, always smiling, loving, cooperative, kind, generous, merciful, noble and very intelligent. He always excelled in studies and was a renowned doctor throughout Yemen. He was at the forefront in service to mankind, in service to Ahmadiyya. 
He was beloved amongst Ahmadis and non-Ahmadis alike. And everyone has been greatly impacted by his loss, including non-Ahmadis. Non-Ahmadis have also expressed their sentiments. The doctors' union in Yemen made the following statement. We inform with sorrow and regret that General Surgery Consultant Dr. Mansour Shabuti has passed away. He passed away on the following date. Verily to Allah we belong unto him, shall we return? The statement from the Medical Council further reads, His mysterious demise has caused a great deal of worry and unease to spread within medical circles. According to details that have been obtained thus far, Dr. Mansour was in very good health before his arrest. The reason for his arrest was unknown, and for two weeks there was no information about where he had been taken. Just a day or two before his demise, he resurfaced in very poor condition. Some of his non-Ahmadi friends have also written about him on social media. Dr. Khalid Adib, who is a non-Ahmadi, says, The first time I went to work in the emergency ward of the hospital in Sana'a, I saw many doctors standing around a young doctor. Upon my inquiry, someone told me that it was Dr. Mansur Shabuti, a general surgery consultant, and he is the hardest working doctor and the easiest to work with. All the doctors and students prefer being on duty with him because he always tries to impart as much knowledge as he can to everyone. He is not greedy for money, for rank or for fame. The deceased had a very calm disposition, was very poised and took great care of his health. He was always smiling and was very kind. He was far removed from any sort of arrogance or love for the world. Another person wrote, his demise is a great loss for Yemen. Yemen has lost a righteous person who was pure-hearted and who spent his life serving the ill. Another person writes, Dr. Mansour had a healing hand and possessed lofty morals. All of the newspapers in southern Yemen have published the news of his demise under various titles. For example, the killing of a renowned doctor, the demise of the most renowned doctor, capture of the most well-known doctor. Someone also wrote to me that because of him, the name of Ahmadiyyat has spread quite a bit in Yemen. And if Allah wills, this could become a source of tabligh. May Allah the Almighty treat the deceased with forgiveness and mercy, elevate his station, and grant patience and strength to his family. May the conditions there improve. Those who are currently imprisoned there of the small community that does exist, may Allah the Almighty swiftly procure the means for their release. The second mention is of respected Salahuddin Muhammad Saleh Abdul Qadir Odeh Sahib, who is the father of Sharif Odeh Sahib, national president of the community in Kababir. He had a heart complication on 31st of January, and he passed away during the operation in the hospital at the age of 85. Verily, to Allah we belong unto him, shall we return. The deceased was a Musi. He is survived by his wife, three sons, Muhammad Sharif Odeh Sahib, Munir Odeh Sahib, and Amir Odeh Sahib, as well as a daughter, Manal Odeh. 
he has grandsons and granddaughters. Two of his grandsons, Masroor Munir Odeh and Bashiruddin Mahmood Odeh, are studying in Jamia UK and Jamia Canada, respectively. Sharif Odeh Sahib writes that his Seed's paternal grandfather, Al Haj Abdul Qadir Odeh, was among the pioneer Ahmadis in Palestine who accepted Ahmadiyat in 1928. After him, the deceased paternal great-grandfather, Abdul Qadir Odeh, also pledged allegiance, and sometime later, the deceased father, Muhammad Odeh, also pledged allegiance. Thus, by the grace of Allah the Almighty, the deceased father, paternal grandfather, and paternal great-grandfather as well were all Ahmadis. He was born in 1938 and was born an Ahmadi. When he was 14 years old, it was very cold one day, and the deceased went outside for some task, and due to the cold weather and not wearing the appropriate attire, his body froze and he fell unconscious. After a long search, he was found and taken to the hospital. His condition was very dire, and the doctors said that firstly, it would be a miracle if he survived, and even if he did survive, he would never be able to have children. Jodri Muhammad Sharif Sahib, who was the missionary there at the time, wrote a letter to Hazrat Muslim Thereafter, by the grace of Allah the Almighty, not only was he cured, but he later married, and Allah the Almighty bestowed him with children, three boys and one girl. Like his father, the deceased spent his entire life at the forefront of serving the missionaries. Similarly, he would wholeheartedly serve the guests of the Promised Messiah, which was attested to by every person who came to express their condolences. Shrif Odeh Sahib says, The guests had become accustomed to his hospitality. Guests would desire to stay with him and experience his hospitality. Once a priest was due to come for a meeting, he asked whether his father was there. He told him that his father had gone out, to which the priest replied, I will come back when he returns, so that I may enjoy his hospitality. The deceased also took care of the poor, and the needy and would spend on them. New converts whose families had cut ties with them settled in Kabavir, and the deceased treated them all like a kind father. Upon his demise, one woman said, my husband spent most of his time with him and now he says that he does not know who to go to. Sharif Sahib says, my father raised us by setting his own practical example rather than explaining things to us. He would show us how to do things through his actions. My father loved studying and he would always be studying some literature of the community due to which his knowledge was also very vast. Then Sharif Sahib says, it was not that he needed our help in his old age. He did not require any help from us. In fact, he would help us. And the fact that his children were serving the community made him happy. His granddaughter, Dr. Yasmin, writes, I lived for a few years with my grandparents in their home. I observed that my deceased grandfather was regular in offering prayers in Tahajjid. He would spend most of his time in the mosque and in the community's headquarters. He regularly cooked and cared for guests and was also occupied in renovating the community's headquarters, among other tasks. 
He loved to read the books of the community to the extent that on the day of his demise we found an open book on his bed. She further says, there were some repairs needed in their home. My deceased grandfather told my grandmother that these repairs were not necessary because they would soon pass away and it is better to donate the funds needed for the repairs to the needy instead. During his heart surgery, the doctors not only observed that his heart was very weak, but also that his arteries were almost completely obstructed. They were astonished as to how he was walking about up until that time. Nonetheless, it was his prayer to be able-bodied up until his demise, and thus, until his final moment, he was never dependent on anyone. Sharif Odisaib says, My father spent his money on others with an open heart. One day an elderly relative asked for some help, and my father handed him everything that he had in his pocket at that very moment. When the late Molana Fazlullah Bashir Sahib was a missionary in Kababir, he asked the deceased to contribute funds towards the Kababir Mosque. At that time, he acquired a large sum of money from somewhere. He gave the whole amount towards the mosque. A youth also wrote saying, when he underwent a surgery for his hernia, I asked about his well-being. And he replied that he was in a lot of pain. I then asked him why he was doing work whilst he was in such a condition. He said that there were some minor tasks of moving things around here and there and repairing a broken door. I said that because he had undergone a surgery, he should not engage in any heavy labour. He replied that he could not live without doing so because he considered serving the community his responsibility. Sefuddin Abu Asad from Palestine writes, I only observed goodness and virtue in respected Slahuddin Ode Sahib. During my stay in Kababir, I found him to be a truly sincere member of the community. He was very loving and would come to everyone's aid. Despite being the father of the national president of the community, he would engage in serving and hosting guests. Owing to his hospitality, I only realized afterwards that he was the national president's father. He was exceedingly humble. Someone informed me afterwards about who he was. Dr. Ayman al-Malki says, immediately after leading the Fajr prayers, he would go straight to the Langar Khana and work tirelessly until the evening when he would return home. This was his routine for all seven days of the week. He loved Khilafat dearly and greatly respected the community to the extent that although his own son was the national president, he would stand in respect for him. He was passionately occupied in serving the community, preaching and fulfilling his responsibilities until the end of his life. Examples of such passion are uncommon. He witnessed the eras of four Khulafa and he would have very interesting discussions on the topic of Khilafat. Muhammad Alauna Sahib writes, I pledged allegiance 20 years ago, after which I went to Kababir. He greeted me with great love and sincerity. I always observed him to be serving the community. Despite his old age, he exemplified sincerity in his work, the likes that cannot be seen even in the youth. He was very benevolent and kind. Namal Ajwa Sahib writes, I belong to the city of Al-Khalil. When I came here with my two children, I did not have a home to live in. 
the deceased told me to leave my daughters in his care while I could stay in Darul Ziafat for one and a half months. They cared for my daughters, gave them food to eat and fulfilled their other needs. He was like a kind father to me. With his demise, I feel like my soul has left my body. Shamsuddin Sahib, the missionary of Gabavi, writes, He disliked to throw away anything old from the mosque or mission house. Instead, he repaired those things as though they were brand new and made them usable once more. This is a method of saving money that should be adopted in other places as well. Sometimes I observed that when people would come to the mosque seeking help, he would honour them as guests, seat them down and also feed them. Rana Ode Jangir Sahiba, his granddaughter, writes, I always observed my grandfather to wake up early in the morning for tahajjud and offer his prayers regularly. My grandfather cared deeply for the poor. People would tell him to spend money on himself as well, but he would always reply by saying, I prefer to give this money to those who need it. He had firm conviction in God and boundless love for Khilafat. May Allah the Almighty show mercy to the deceased, grant him forgiveness and elevate his station. May he also grant his children and progeny patience and fortitude and enable them to carry on his virtuous deeds. Next, I will speak about Rihanna Farad Saiba, wife of Karamatullah Khadim Sahib, a missionary serving in Rabwa. She passed away on 29th of January, verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Her family entered the fold of Ahmadiyyat through her great-grandfather, Hazrat Munshi Jalaluddin Sahib of Bulani, located in the district of Gujarat. His name was the first amongst the list of the 313 companions included in the appendix of Anjam Yatham by the Promised Messiah She is survived by her husband, one son and three daughters. Her son, Isanullah Sahib, is currently serving as a missionary in Spain. He was unable to attend the funeral prayers and burial of his mother due to his work in the field, among other reasons. Her husband, Karamatullah Khadim, is a life devotee and missionary. Her son-in-law, Asif Mahmood Bhatt Sahib, is also a missionary serving in Tanzania. Her son, Isanullah Sahib, who is a missionary, writes, She was a constant canopy of prayers for us. She would offer exceedingly emotional tahajjid prayers. Whilst working and walking about, she would hum prayerful couplets of the Promised Messiah and the Khulafa. In this way, the children around her would also learn those couplets. She was regular in almsgiving and offering services to the community. Until her health permitted, she regularly attended and participated in the events of the community. She was very grateful, content and a patient person. She took pride in being an Ahmadi woman. Her daughter, Numana Nusrat, writes, she had a distinct quality of being very grateful. If someone even praised her by saying that she dedicated the one son she had, she would reply with humility and gratefulness, saying, How can I thank Allah the Almighty that after giving him one son, he gave me many in return, referring to her grandchildren. She would say that all Ahmadis are life devotees. She was born in Rabwa, and it pleased her greatly to see the new developments. She was known as a strong woman with good etiquettes. Alongside being contented and simple, she lived a life of etiquette. 
She expressed her gratefulness by saying that she was afforded all the comforts of life. She never complained that the allowance of a missionary was insufficient. She would say, I could not receive the blessings I have now anywhere else. Due to lawsuits filed against the community, her son had to migrate in 2017. As I mentioned, there were other reasons he could not attend. It was not possible for him to go to Pakistan, and due to the weakness caused by her illness, she could not go to visit him. Nevertheless, she would always advise her son to discharge his duties as a life devotee with patience and dedication. Her daughter-in-law says, she offered the Tajid prayers with great pain and fervour. She would also see true dreams. She saw clear dreams that would come true. We would all be astonished upon witnessing this. It is further stated that her son had to migrate due to some lawsuits. And due to her illness, she was unable to visit him. Despite this, she never expressed any sadness. She always advised her son to fulfill his life devotion with steadfastness. She would remark that it is very easy to stay in touch nowadays and never allowed her maternal love and instincts to become a hurdle in a life devotee's work. Someone told her that it had been a long time and if she wrote to the Khalifa of the time to be allowed to visit her son, some arrangements would be made for her. She replied that she had dedicated her son and would not make such requests. May Allah the Almighty show her mercy, grant her forgiveness and elevate her station. May He also grant her family patience and fortitude.